listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Ash and John and talking about adopting when you're adopted yourself. Hi both of you. Hello. Thank hey. you so much for joining me on a Friday evening. That's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having us. Of course. Um, I was really interested in your story because um, we have talked to some people who have adopted themselves after they were adopted. But it's unusual, I guess, that both people in a couple that applies to. I don't know. Should we start? Ash, do you want to tell me a bit about um, your story? So my story. So my story started from when I, I was adopted uh, from New Delhi uh, when I was about six weeks old. Um, I'm originally from uh, the northeast of India. Uh, when my parents adopted me, there was no contact or with my birth family. I mean, even in, in all my records, there was no like there was nothing there about my birth family. So I had very little idea of of my birth family. And then when I was adopted from India, we had moved to the Middle East, so that's where I grew up. So I grew up in the Middle East, and I didn't really know much about adoption just in general because. I suppose in, in Asian or Middle Eastern culture, uh, adoption is not something that's spoken about very openly. And so while I was living there, there were there was nothing, there was no information for me to find out. It's only as I grew up into my teens that I started to question. But saying that, my parents were always very clear from as as young as I can remember that I was adopted. And they always reinforced it that you know, they, they, they loved me and all of that. So I never at, at any point doubted anything or any or doubted their their love for me uh for me to call question it were you open with other people around you about the fact that you were adopted given that you said it's not openly talked about uh no i mean i mean it was it, i mean it was it was a di- different time i mean amongst my friends i didn't we didn't really talk about it and I, they never really asked me and i suppose during my later teen years when some of them did question me i mean if if you if anyone's ever seen my parents, I mean they look very different to to what I look like. So a lot of people did question me at at some point about that, and for, with those I felt comfortable with, I would share it. But apart from that, nobody ever went further, and I, I just didn't talk about it because I I didn't think it was something people spoke about. It's only later on I think as, as I grew up in in my twenties and then and now especially moving to the UK, I realized that I wish I had this conversation much earlier because it could have probably helped a lot. Thanks, Ash. And so, John, can you tell me a little bit about your early story, you know, how you came to be adopted and so on? Sure thing. Um, I suppose I, I would just give a trigger warning to anyone listening. My story very much started with, with a sexual assault. It was it was ultimately why my birth mother decided that I should be put up for adoption. I do have an older half-brother. We were adopted together but social services very much worked with her in you know making that decision because there was neglect involved there was abuse involved and you know the the dynamic the, the the social situation at the time that was the decision that was made so at six weeks old I was taken from my birth mother um I was placed in foster care my brother and I were in separate foster care placements and we were there pretty much for over a year. We had also very different foster experiences. My brother was in, I suppose, a, a foster family that 
that did it more for the money and more as a, a job. They didn't really put much work into in, into caring for him, and and um, he he was quite lonely. He was he was quite an independent child. Whereas I was with a foster family that very much smothered me and ultimately wanted to keep me. And they did. They they had tried to to go through the process of adopting me myself, but social services at the time were very much insistent that my my brother and I be adopted to together, which is what happened. But the 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 foster carers that I was with at the time did not want that. They did make the introductions process very difficult for my adoptive parents. I suppose you know, looking back, you'd you'd sort of call it. Munchausen's uh, making up illnesses and and various other com- complexities to to make it not as appealing uh, a child to adopt. But my my mum was very persistent. She had that instant connection with me. There's a story of me stood naked in the window when uh, the first time she met me, and apparently I just smiled at her, and she just said, "I knew you were the one." So that's very much my story. I suppose a little bit more traditional than Ashes, um, you know in terms of the British system, but but yeah. So from the two stories that you've just told, which, you know, are are incredible stories, both of them, it's it's such a potentially difficult start in both cases. And, you know, I know that as adopters, we're presented with paperwork with these stories written on them. Um, I suppose we try to predict the future from these stories. And so for anyone reading either of those stories, you know, neither of those is a really textbook, straightforward situation to have been in at all, the opposite of that. And so it's it's really nice to be able to talk to you about what that has meant for you, you know, throughout your lives, because I guess there are lots of us who are raising children for whom some of these things are relevant. And so it's it's really nice to have that perspective. So I'm very grateful that you're here to share that with us. So, Ash, coming back to you, I guess... Given that you know nothing of your birth family at all, what's that meant for you throughout your life, that that complete knowledge gap? Right. I mean, growing up, I mean, I, I, I started picking up some differences um, within my, my extended family. Um, I'm from an, from an Indian family, and if anybody knows, uh, Indian families are quite large. We've got loads of cousins and uncles and aunts out there. So when I used to go for family visits, and um, I think one of the striking things I used to see is the resemblance, whether it's a physical resemblance or characteristics between like my aunts and my cousins. And I was very different from all of them um, in, in a lot of ways. And sometimes, I mean, I, I suppose everybody knows that sometimes children can ask you very direct questions. I was questioned sometimes as a child by other children, like my friends or just other kids. Uh, why do I look so different from my parents? Uh, or why am I so, uh, why, why, am I, why is my, my features different? Why is my skin tone different? And I, I suppose growing up, I felt sort of ashamed about that. And I didn't know what to say for most of it. I just kind of shrugged it off or, or changed the subject. Because it wasn't a conversation that I, I, I heard or even saw any sort of representation out there in, in media. I suppose within Indian or Asian and Middle Eastern cultures to a certain extent, like bloodlines and families are so sacred to, to our culture that, you know, adoptions can sometimes be seen differently. I mean, it has changed now. This is probably, this is, you're talking about in the 80s. But uh, I think that's that kind of that line of thinking is what led to a lot of people uh, who did adopt probably wouldn't tell anyone. But saying that my parents did tell tell their friends and everybody knew about me. 
but it was just they knew about me, but nobody spoke about it or no one checked in on me with regards to that. So I suppose. But then on, on the other hand, my 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 mom and dad uh, showered me with lots of love. Um, I also do have an older sister who's actually adopted herself as well. So we I mean, we're two different birth birth families, but she's also adopted. So she was adopted first and then then me. So. That's the common factor me and my sister have uh, is the fact that we're both adopted. But my parents showed, sh- showered us with so much love and um, they constantly uh, reaffirmed uh, that we were part of the family. And never once did I ever think twice about anything else. I mean, I never questioned that anybody else is my mom than my mom. So, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't see the need to seek it out. I, I, sometimes I would think like, you know, w- what do people... Like if there's anybody out there that looks like me, but it it was just always passing thoughts, never something that I focused my my time or energy on. But yeah, I suppose I suppose yeah, that's that's how it was like growing up. It's only until I reached my my late teens and my twenties that's when I started discovering this this whole world that there are other people who are adopted, their family stories, birth stories, and and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that you know you were talking then about being a child, and that's that unknown part of your history and so on but I suppose even as an adult I guess every time you visit a doctor you're asked for medical history and so on and it it must keep being presented to you over and over I imagine oh absolutely absolutely I mean several times or even while growing up or at any point of time if I ever had to do any official work and somebody even asks me about my my medical history I mean touch what I've never really had any issues uh, so far I mean it's just a, like the, the flu or a cold here and there but nothing major but there's no record in terms of family history so that's still a big question mark and a big enigma out there but so far so good yeah. <laughs> don't feel over now will you you know I feel like I've cursed you by raising it um, <laughs> thank you and um and John I want to ask you a bit more about your story and if I ask anything that you don't feel comfortable to answer that's fine but I guess with you saying about having been born as a result of a sexual assault which is not uncommon at all but very very taboo to talk about and I just wonder if you feel that you can just say more about how you learned about that and how you've come to absorb that piece of information in in whatever way you have. People are often so surprised at how comfortable I am talking about things like this. The, the adoption process itself has obviously been quite intrusive. We fully understand why that is the case. It's It's been designed to kind of coax out a lot of this information and there's been times where I felt there's some inference that I should somehow find this more difficult than what I do but ultimately I was raised with so much love and so much security and always knowing and never feeling that being adopted that being gay uh, that being a, a, a child of a single parent my, my parents got divorced that being epileptic at a stage, I never felt that these were things of shame. They were things I was proud of. I was proud to be adopted and I felt very much that I could talk to people. So people have said to me before, how have you never had therapy? Why have you not needed, you know, that? And I suppose my answer to that is I I have had therapy by by having that opportunity to be so open, to have friends, to have other individuals genuinely asking me, oh, what, you're, you're adopted, like, tell me more about it. 
that opportunity to talk and to think, that openness has meant I've always been very solid. And so I discovered that I discovered the story around why I had been adopted later in life. I was in my mid 20s and I up until that point, I had absolutely no interest whatsoever. And I still don't have that interest. I was left with gosh, what are they called? Um, a, a book, a storybook that you that you come with as a, as a child who's been in the care system and adopted. And that is all I had. It had some pictures. The story was told very much in the story of Thomas the Tank. I was the personification of Thomas. And it would talk about sort of scratches of paintwork and the fat controller being rude and, and, and needing to go to the repair center, you know, this type of language. And I was very, very comfortable with that. I suppose it shows that those kind of books work. But when I was in my, my mid-20s, my, my, my brother and I were approached by the Jeremy Kyle show of all shows, an absolutely horrendous experience because my my mum contacted us. Uh, I was living sort of uh, half an hour away. Uh, she she called me in absolute floods of tears on the phone because a, a researcher, Jeremy Kyle, had been knocking on doors, putting letters through, left a voicemail on the phone. It was absolutely horrendous. And how they got our information or details, I'll never know. And it was that which triggered me to think, there's somebody out there. There's someone out there that's looking. There's someone alive. I didn't know anything and whether they were still kind of around. I didn't know if I had biological siblings etc and so it, it but it also made me think gosh like is there someone somewhere that's paid some money to get some access to something i didn't know how the researcher had found the information because uh, aspects of our names had changed and, and various other things so i requested my records from from the agency i i, I contacted them and said look i'm not comfortable with this this document being anywhere i want that information i want to keep it i don't want there to be a record so i arranged with the agency to to visit um they they actually uh, they employed a counselor or it it was a, a gentleman there to kind of talk me through everything in my report because they were obviously very conscious that there could be some really triggering information in there but I was absolutely fine and I knew I would be and I took that information away with me and it was only at that point I fully understood that I was as a result of a, of a sexual assault and um, there was a, a letter from my birth mother to me ultimately just in case I ever I ever uh, read it or accessed it just outlining that uh, that you know this had happened and and it was it didn't affect me in 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 any way and uh, i don't know sometimes i've wondered whether i should should have felt something i don't know but i don't you know i'm interestingly i'm also still very much very much pro choice in terms of my 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 political agenda i suppose but but it's it's not something that i i think about i'm just i just feel so blessed i feel so blessed that i've I've had this this chance in life, a difficult start, but but that I was just surrounded by so much love and adopted by by you know a mum who is just my best friend and is just an, such an incredible person, and 
everything's been fab. I'm so blessed. I feel so lucky. There are so many people in this world out there with so much challenge. I've been lucky and blessed that I've been able to travel the world and I have seen such horrendous poverty and and, and other things. And yeah, I'm just so happy. And I mean, just hearing you talk like that is is really inspiring and partly you know because clearly the adoption and the person that adopted you crucially was just so key to your sense of well-being and confidence and so on which is really lovely to hear and also that you were able to absorb such potentially triggering and difficult detail um, in a way that wasn't derailing you know and I think lots of us sit looking at our child's adoption story and thinking when and where do we find these words to explain this part because I think you can explain something so gently that it's unclear you can explain something so brutally that it's really impossible to hear almost and I guess we all try and find that line down the middle of that but it's not easy and so you know to hear you talk about being able to read that and just take it in as, as simply the facts of your existence and so on is really interesting to know and the strength that you've been given due to the family that you were raised in is is really um, inspiring so thank you so when you both got together who brought up the let's have children first thing oh that was definitely ash uh, <laughs> I you cast yeah. that blame okay ash justify yourself what did you say yeah, well you say <laughs> i think that was one of the I don't know. It was just one of those defining factors. Um, growing up, um, I never, I didn't really think. I mean, I suppose like anyone in your twenties, you don't really think too much into the future. But as I was reaching my my late twenties and early thirties, that's when it just hit me that you know what, uh, I've 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 been so lucky with the opportunities I've received, the life I've lived, uh, especially because of my parents. I would I want to do exactly the same thing to somebody else and. Uh, I mean, I was, I've always wanted to adopt. I mean, I think that's just, that just was one of the, that I suppose that just was part of my, my, my nature apart from anything else. So I, when I met John, I, I, I suppose even in the first initial dating phase, we were, when we were talking, I always brought it up. So it was never, it was never a surprise. He kind of, I think he always knew that I was, I was always, I always wanted to adopt. Right. So Ash, you brought it up straight away, which was my strategy as well. So well done. Um, and John, how did you feel about having, you know, like adoption and stuff brought up so early? Absolutely fine. Part of our our stage one sort of questions and interviews and things was, you know, what what are your strengths as a couple? And I, well, we had always said from the very start that, that communication was something that we were incredibly strong and that was something that we 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 praised from the very first time that we met we were very open about the connection that we both had in terms of being adopted we're also very passionate about music and so ash had kind of said to me quite early on that he wanted a family in the future and surrogacy wasn't something that that he had thought of and that as adopted people that is something he would like to give back and I agreed I suppose at the time I was very much focused on on my career I suppose charting charting my life and and that is something that over the course of the the seven and a half years that that we'd been together that that we were very much open to but at the time we were both living in the Middle East in a Middle Eastern country where homosexuality is is illegal, and that was that was quite challenging for us, but but absolutely fine. 
we we lived harmoniously and and open and honest with with our work colleagues and and neighbors to a certain extent but realized that ultimately we had to move to the UK to fulfill that dream of getting married and starting a family so actually i suppose those early those early opportunities where ash was able to talk to me about wanting this it 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 was inevitable really i just i just needed to be ready to that's really really nice <laughs> you're just so harmonious um so so i guess now you know you've been through that assessment and so on and um you're approaching panel how are you feeling about panel we are feeling very excited about panel we're very optimistic our social worker has been fab she really knows us very well i've been incredibly impressed with her memory and how much she remembers from various conversations that we've had she's very confident in in us and the experiences that we've had being able to share that in a new family and and give you know a, a child or children a, a very very loving loving home the frustrations really have have stemmed from I suppose the process has been quite long-winded. We were supposed to have panel in December. That moved to January. Then it was early March, and now it's two weeks away. It's 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 been a journey, and often those those changes have been through. Well, all of the all of these changes have been through through no fault of our own or for anyone really. It's just the nature of the system. But we very much approached the process at the very start. Look. There's going to be paperwork. It's going to be intrusive. There's probably going to be some red tape and bureaucratic stuff, but but we very much were going to embrace that and and enjoy it and make the most of it. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the paperwork, there was a lot. I mean, because um, the difference between I mean, John is from here, so it was easy for him to find uh, his documentation. Like, for example, just his health records, because it's within the UK system. If he needed to get any uh, letters uh, from any of his uh, past employers, uh, he could get them. Whereas for me, I had to get, I had to start looking from all my past employers. And bec- and in my career, I've not only worked in the Middle East, I've I've worked in India, I, I've worked in several other places. So. I needed to start finding out how to get those different documentations from various consulates and various past employers. And I think that was what took a lot of time uh, in terms of like digging up. It's, it, is, it is an interesting process because you have to dig back into your career and, and almost like think where were you at that point and who is the person who you need to contact to get that information from. But that was a tedious process uh, for, for at least for when it came to my documentation for the adoption in terms of panel i think yeah we are very confident because i suppose since we're both adopted uh going through the different um uh stages and and le- learning about the whole process a lot of, a lot of the stories we both could um what's the word we could both uh we understood them very well we understood uh, what was going on so i think that gives me and gives both of us confident about the whole process and yeah as john said we uh, without a doubt our social work has been really great and and thorough with us so we've got everything covered at this point that's really fantastic you sound extremely confident but yes absolutely i guess between you you must know an awful lot from personal experience so i can understand that and you just mentioned you know one or two children or child or children how many are you thinking of and what are your thoughts on i guess you know how does family life look in your mind at the moment we have always had the vision for two children. We were both one of two 
I had an older brother, as I mentioned earlier. Ash has an older sister. It just seemed almost meant meant to be, and so we are really looking to to to, to match with 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 siblings or, or, or two children. That is that's our goal. Do you have an idea of the age in mind that you might consider? Um, yeah, we are looking. Um, I think from the eighteen months to about three years. That's sort of again very similar to mine and John's story. I mean, our I think the age gap between me and my my older sister is about three years, uh, like two and a half, three, and it's similar to to John as well. So I I suppose that also was was part of the factor that we were looking within the same age range as well. Yeah, absolutely. So fairly little ones still is is what you're looking at. Yes, very much. I, we do have, I suppose you could say, what would be their grandparents very much looking forward to 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 that early start and and being able to 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 really, you know, nurture and get that I suppose baby phase. And I like I was eighteen months when I was adopted, and my mum very much enjoyed the nappy phase and and all of that. So I th- I think there's a part of part of wanting to experience that as well yeah absolutely i mean the novelty of the nappy phase wears off really fast like about three nappies in just as a warning but you know (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean that all just sounds wonderful and you know i can imagine that from your own personal experiences you'll have so much um to bring as you know direct lived experience that you can share with those children as appropriate but you know what it feels like what how you grew into the people that you are and so on. So, um, you know, I'm sure you'll be awesome at it. Do you have any advice for people who um, perhaps have a background that does have, you know, big bumps in the road and big tricky bits of information within it and so on, if they're thinking about beginning as adopters? Well, firstly, um, if you are somebody who's worked in different countries or somebody who's traveled or, and lived anywhere for a few months, the first thing you definitely need to get are your clearance certificates from different countries and consulates. Uh, there are ways you can get it through the UK. Uh, I think through there are various websites uh, through the different consulates where you can apply for these, whether it's good conduct, uh, police clearance certificates. But those are the ones that actually some of them can take two weeks, some of them can take like three, four months. And sometimes the the, the information online may not be correct. So it, that was a bit that's a bit of the, the the craziness about about trying to get that so i advise anybody who's looking into it to start getting their documentation ready uh if any sort of like traveling if they just because ultimately what you need to do is map out your whole life from when you were born to to well currently to your present state and so sometimes for those who've moved around a lot or who've had very uh, turbulent lifestyles that can be quite complicated to put that together. So anybody who's in uh, in a similar situation uh, like me or have had more travel experience, uh, I would advise definitely get your paperwork done because that's the part that took the longest and the wait was even longer for us. That's really useful advice. And actually, you're the second person I've spoken today who grew up abroad and had that exact paperwork nightmare to pull together and said, again, it caused all sorts yeah. of delays. And what about you, John? What would your advice be? My advice would be to be very honest and open with your social worker. It's really important that your social worker really gets to know who you are, what makes you tick, what makes you work as a couple so that they can really portray you in the PAR and other documentation as you really are, as as, as authentic as possible. 
I, I touched on it earlier. My advice would be to be prepared and try and enjoy the process as much as possible. We knew it was going to be bumpy. We knew there were likely to be delays. We knew that there was going to be a lot of writing. But we always told ourselves that later in life, we are going to have a family that we can share with them. Look at what we went through. Look at this document. I had to do this. You know, daddy had to do that. And it, I, I just think the power of that, the impact that can have later is is really, really strong. So we've we've quite enjoyed it. It's been really good opportunity. The third thing I'd say is about networking, you know, new family social, other means of, of making those connections. We made connections in stage one training straight away, taking people's numbers. We've met up, we've made those connections. That has actually led to us discovering new family social and through stage two which is much more intense training we made even bigger networks there and equally we felt very confident in being able to share our story with other people there and equally for them to share with us so it would be about talking to other people engaging in in the community that's a big thing for me I have one more. Yeah, please do. And I've got one more question as well. So you go first, then I'll ask you just one more question each. Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, Continuing on what John was saying, um, one more piece of advice I have, uh, I suppose, um, whoever your employers are and wherever you're working, you need to be very honest with with them as well. Because throughout the process, changes can happen suddenly, and then your whole employment structure can change very quickly and in some companies maybe they're not prepared or maybe they need to find a replacement temporarily for you so you need to be very honest with your with your boss I mean I was very honest with my boss from day one and I mean I was also very lucky that my boss also uh, is adopted and has adopted as well <laughs> so she completely understood the process of it all but I, being very honest with 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 your employees gives gives you the 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 freedom to at least if if something does happen and if you need to take leave or if if you get suddenly get called into a panel or your panel dates get changed at least they are on board with you and there's no confusion and I understand that can be hard with certain jobs you do but I suppose then with your partner uh, you can discuss that and then you can also decide who would be pr- the primary. Uh, want to take more days or more, more months off uh, and than, than the other. So yeah, I suppose communicating with the employee is what I'd, I'd say is very important. Yeah, I think that's incredibly useful as well as a practical piece of advice. So thank you, absolutely. I guess because of the unusual perspective that you both have as people who are adopted and going on to adopt, I guess finally it would be really interesting to hear from each of you what as an adopted person you wish adopters knew um, because the people who listen to this are adopters uh, or foster carers or prospective adopters or foster carers. I just wonder from a, a life as a person who's been adopted, what you wish you could pass on. I would say the openness, the transparency, something I shared in the the third training session of stage two training, which was about how you tell your child was my story of never really not knowing. And my mum had always told me when I couldn't talk or I didn't really understand. I don't ever remember a time where I didn't know. And I remember the same. uh, And I know that it's the same story for Ash as well. We, neither of us, 
remember a time where we didn't know we had songs sung to us it was very very clear and so it was never something to be ashamed of it was something to be proud of and i think ultimately that is what has driven this comfortability about talking about it and being very open which has meant that you know emotional intelligence and 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 strength and being able to cope with even reading some of the the quite you know troubling information in 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 the various reports in 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 the in stage two training was was absolutely fine it was difficult of course but but i was able to to remove my own experiences from that and and look at it quite quite objectively yes uh similar to what john said definitely openness does help a lot um because i grew up in a in a in a different culture I suppose things were very different back then. And I mean, things are, have changed, but not changed dramatically. I, one piece of advice I would give to parents is that just ju- it's, it's purely by judging case by case method. Um, I suppose uh, if you tell if, if your children are joining schools or have like certain play groups, just letting the teachers know that if they don't know already might help uh, your child deal with a lot of anxiety. Because I suppose like when I was in school, uh, not none of my teachers knew about me and there were times that they were they had said a few things and um i mean i never like i'm i'm quite resilient that way i i never took it to heart but it can be taken to it could be taken the wrong way if 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 the school doesn't know i know i mean education has changed dramatically and i know nowadays you have to know a, a child's story before you can before you can g- get into it but i suppose and not telling your teacher or even telling your the the, the parents of your your child's friends because that can sometimes help help your child just deal with certain issues without making it awkward for them so going back to openness definitely openness with your child but openness with the uh with the people around them can also make the make it less taboo and and make your child more confident i also come at that as a as a deputy head teacher of a secondary school i am ironically also in charge of Pupa Premium, I am a deputy head teacher for pastoral care. So I deal with students who are in care or who have ever been in care. I am responsible for coordinating how Pupa Premium money is spent. And it is so important that that these things are communicated so that everybody knows in the school community the the range of support that, that is available. You know, there, there is research that does indicate that that um, adopted children, um, I think it was maybe about 10 years ago, a study showed that less than half of adopted children reached the expected levels of, of reading, writing and maths at key stage two. And, and so communicating these things can is the first step to being able to ensure that, that children who have ever been in care make the, the, the same progress as their peers. Thank you so much. I think that's really excellent advice, all of it. And it's really useful to hear the perspective that you you both have. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Tori. It's been lovely. I'd like to thank my guests today, Ash and John. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next time with more guests and more tea.